0: Was Charlie Chaplin, in the line of fire.
1: But what if there
2: is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Get away from her, you bitch! I'm Batman. Do no, or do not. There is no
3: tomorrow. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Nerdfest podcast. With us today, we have Dan Watkins, Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, and I'm John Farthing. Today Peter's going to be talking to us about Free Guy, and we'll be talking about the latest and greatest Nicolas Cage movie Prisoner of the Ghostland, Daniel Watkins will be talking about White Lotus and Ian Mayer is with us live and in person to talk about Why the Last Man. So let's get started.
2: Back in the studio for the first time in 18 months.
3: Scary isn't it? It's It's weird. weird. You're not wearing a mask. Neither are you. Oh, I am. I've got a mask printed with my face on it.
4: So that's not a real beard?
3: No, it's a little iPad on the front. I bet I spent tens of thousand pounds on technology just to go, oh, well, actually, when somebody approaches me in a shop for not
2: wearing a mask. I'm sure that was worth it. It was worth every penny. I still wear mine in the shops.
3: So do I, yeah, because so I'm not a <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Ian's watched four seasons of an animated Star Wars show since we last podded together, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it on the record. It's very exciting. Well, don't
4: start there. Oh, please. Tell me about Rebels, Ian. Tell me
2: what you thought.
0: Star Wars Rebels is very good. It may be the best Star Wars thing. I'm not joking. Really?
2: Wow. It is really good. Do I need to watch the Clone Wars? You might need to watch the original trilogy.
3: Oh, I can do that. Yes. Yes. At a push. At a push. Mm Mm-hmm. Jedi is a bit of a slog.
2: No. A little bet. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sentimental favourite.
3: Oh, out of the original trilogy, Jedi is the weakest.
2: Uh, you see, I've got a really soft spot for Jedi because I like the creatures and I like the aliens yeah. and I like the monsters. And Empire, for all its great things, doesn't have very many of those. How old were you when you saw Jedi? Probably four or five. Right. I rest my case. <laughs> Uh, but Rebels has got some great little creatures in it, with mm-hmm. hyperspace whales and lothcats and wolves and all sorts.
0: <laughs> a surprising quantity of wolves. If you like wolves and you like Star Wars,
3: I highly recommend Star Wars <laughs> Rebels. Speaking of wolves, bad wolves. Oh, uh, oh, yes,
2: that's a good segue. That is a
3: good segue. I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
2: So, to what nerdy news could you be alluding?
3: It is the return of the Chosen One. Neo. Better than Neo returning to the Matrix. Hawkeye? It's better than Hawkeye <laughs> returning to the MCU. It's better than Piers Morgan returning who, to who Breakfast it Television. <laughs> it's Russell T Davis is back.
4: I just heard this cheer from the other room as, as my son got the news at the same time. There was much celebration in our house at the news of Russell T Davis returning to run who again and do it properly.
3: I didn't hate Moffat. Um, The first couple of seasons of Moffat, the the Matt Smith Moffat.
2: Yeah, the first season of Matt Smith I really like. Mm -hmm.
3: Then it felt like Chris Chibnall came in and had been told it had got too convoluted and complicated and uh, and went in the complete opposite direction.
2: Yeah, it's been a real shame because the last two Doctors, I think, Jodie Whittaker and Peter Capaldi, have both been really good in the role, but neither of them have really had much chance to show how good they are. Yeah, I exactly. think the scripts have let both of them mm-hmm. down. Mm. And Matt Smith's first series for me is still at a high point, but I think that's been the main high point since Russell T Davies left the first time, probably. Mm.
3: And I'm kind of hoping he can be can be a bit less white and male and straight now, which is kind of thing Russell, Russell T Davies has done some interesting. Things since and maybe we've moved forward a bit in time. So yeah, you am trying I to
4: say Russell T Davies wasn't particularly gay when he started doing Doctor Who? <laughs> yeah. No, I think <laughs> I think, yeah, I that's think probably yeah, not. True. I think
2: Saturday Tea Time BBC. I think Captain Jack is probably about as as yeah. queer as he could yeah. go. But mm. I think rehiring him so soon after it's a sin.
3: We had a bisexual um, assistant, didn't we? Pearl
2: Mackie. Oh, Bill. Yes. Bill, yes. Yeah. Again. Interesting character, well played, didn't really get the mm-hmm. stories to support it. The main reason I'm looking forward to
4: Russell T Davis was that over the last month or two, we'd been going back to the beginning of mm-hmm. the new Who, mm-hmm. and it's so much better than current Who. It's so much more fun, so much more involving, so much more happens in the space of 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, what yeah. Who should be.
3: The first Dalek episode, where it's just the one Dalek, and it's the first one with Christopher Eccleston, post him thinking he'd killed all the daleks it was done so well as an hour-long piece of drama and that was the one that made me think oh this doc- new doctor who's actually going to be really really good
0: i think russell t davis uh reinvented Doctor two and i think he had a real sense of what he wanted it to be and kind of he brought this kind of quirky britishness to it which although was always there he kind of had a populist view of kind of britishness which i think was quite appealing i think casting uh, billy piper as rose kind of embodied this and all the showrunners who've come since were part of that era, like Moffat was a writer, Chibnall was a writer, and they produced mm. some great episodes while they were there.
3: I think we need a change.
0: <laughs> like, I actually think we need something like a different. complete, a complete mm-hmm. break,
3: something different again.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
3: There were some advocates who sort of said, "Finish it for five or ten years and bring it back."
4: Well, oddly, I think Russell T. Dave is going to be different when he comes back. And it may sound counterintuitive, but I think having
2: spent ten years away from it. He will actually have different ideas about what he'll do. And thinking Mm -hmm. of the stuff he's done since he left, something like Years and Years, Mm -hmm. which I admit I haven't watched because it sounded a bit bleak um, (laughs) for me to be able to cope with. But Uh there were some very interesting sounding ideas in that series about the future and about cyber things and Mm -hmm. about what could be happening that could be brought into 2020's Doctor Who that might not have been Mm -hmm. present in 2005. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah, and as we say, attitudes to you know sexuality and things have changed, and there must be other things that have changed in some ways that will have an impact on it. Yeah, mm. Television's changed in yeah. 10 years.
2: Yeah, as long as they've not brought him back to do what J.J. Abrams was brought back into Star Wars to do, which is just reverse everything else and go back to that thing. i mm, want no. Doctor Who to keep going no, I don't and evolving that. rather than reverting at all. Mm-hmm yeah, l- let us not forget that there is a whole other series of Doctor Who to come before There's, all there's of this.
3: two. There's a six episode series that's coming soon-ish. And then there's going to be three specials in 2022. Hmm. So I think... We're when- not
2: just skip all that and go straight to yeah. Russell T Davies. So not? the first Russell
3: T Davies is going to be 2023, I believe.
2: Yeah, I would like to live in hope that Jodie Whittaker might get some episodes that do... Her character, Justice, she still hasn't really had a chance to properly explore the character.
3: Mm. I'd like her to stick around for another series, have a Russell T Davies written series. Mm.
2: But I can't yeah. see her doing that after another two years. No. But I know that Ollie Alexander, who was the lead in It's a Sin, mm. has been strongly rumoured as the new Doctor, He's so denied that would be good. It.
3: I only know him from that terrible band.
2: Who was called Years and Years. Yep. Ironically. Mm. Uh, he was very, very good in It's a Sin. Uh, so, Alonzi... Or Geronimo? um, Which one was a Russell T Davis catchphrase?
3: Alonzi, fish fingers, fezzes.
2: That was Moffat. Lady in
3: braces looking like a sexy Mark. That's the new one.
4: (laughs) What? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, Yes. I said Yes. Peter, would you like to go first? This week I saw Free Guy, which has been cinemas for a couple of weeks but will be available on Disney Plus by the end of September. Ryan Reynolds plays Guy, a non-player background character in Free City, a GTA-style game where NPCs go about their business every day while the real-world game players run around causing chaos, attacking citizens, robbing banks and blowing shit up with a load of over-the-top weapons. For Guy, this is normality. He can't imagine it being any other way. But one day, Guy bumps into the girl of his dreams, played by Jodie Comer and starts to see the world around him like a player, packed with in-game overlays and power-ups, and he starts to level up and take control of his life. Ryan Reynolds is much as you'd expect. Not quite Deadpool level, but a million miles better than in the truly bloody awful Hitman's Weiss Bodyguard, which even managed to make Samuel L. Jackson and Morgan Freeman look bad. Coma is great, although she might have had more separation between her in-game avatar and her real-world counterpart a designer who created an earlier version of the game. Taika Waititi plays Antoine, who stole the game from its creators. But although I've liked him in everything else I've seen him in, literally everything about his performance falls flat for me here. It's a very dense world with lots of video game references from GTA, Portal and Fortnite. Apart from a dodgy bit of logic about servers, it's actually pretty faithful to the way games work in lots of places. It feels like a mashup of The Truman Show, Lego Movie, The Matrix and Ready Player One, which ironically makes it not feel as individual as it might have been, given that's one of the major themes of the
2: movie. It has some good ideas, but a few flaws keep it from greatness. But who else has seen it? I went to the cinema to see it, and I had a really good time. It reminded me a lot of the kinds of actiony, quite funny blockbusters that you would get in the summer holidays mm-hmm. when you were at school. And you'd just go to the cinema for the day when it was rainy and you'd watch a fun film and have some popcorn. And you might not remember much about it a week later and you might not buy the video, but you had a fun trip at the cinema. And you don't get so many of those kinds of films in the summertime these days, now that everything's completely packed with big franchises and cinematic universes. So this sort of felt a little bit like a throwback to that blockbuster of 15, 20 years ago. And I quite liked it for mm-hmm. that. I did think Jody Comer was great. I really liked uh, UTK from Freestyle Love Supreme as one of the technicians. I did think Taika Waititi was insufferable, but I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> what was he was awful. going for. I think he was trying to be the biggest dick imaginable. It did work, but if you're not on board the Taika train, this will absolutely not convert. I
3: am so looking forward to showing Andy uh, (laughs) an editing highlights package consisting entirely of Taika Waititi's performance in this film.
2: Well, you see, I wondered about that, but I think he's being so deliberately obnoxious that it might actually bring Andy round slightly (laughs) because. Finally, the rest of the world will see Taika the way that Andy does. <laughs> um,
4: what? That's not funny at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. How gamesy is it? I don't know. That sounds
4: really silly because it's set inside a video game. But like, do you mean do you need to understand video games to get the movie?
0: All the references that are there are they well observed? Are they funny? Are they good? Or are they kind of
2: basic?
3: All the YouTubers, yeah. Twitchers are apparently real life.
2: Yes. Famous people. I, I assumed that, but I am too old to know who <laughs> any of them.
4: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, there were some things that showed genuine knowledge, like when buildings disappear, you see sky behind and things, mm. because there's a skybox yeah. that shows some degree of knowledge. Mm. But there was a bit when servers get switched offline and bits of the city all turn off, and you think, that's probably not how it works, because you'd normally replicate the same model across lots of servers. Mm-hmm. If you go down a certain street, you don't go to a particular server. Yeah. They
2: don't correspond normally in the real world. I haven't played most of these massive online games before mm-hmm. uh, and if you've got a passing knowledge of what they are that's more than enough to get through yeah. the film it yeah. it doesn't overload you with gamey stuff but yeah. I think if you're really into it there's probably a lot to enjoy to pick up little nods mm-hmm. as you go around that I wouldn't have got
4: like for instance at one point they use a portal gun and then yeah. someone does a nice thing of throwing someone to someone else but he does it through the portal so it comes out through the other portal and he catches it and things like that stuff that shows you know how it works Yeah. But you can work it out if you are not familiar with the game.
3: I had a very nerdy complaint in mm-hmm. that something sort of didn't I it's quite niche for me even. So there's a bit where Ryan Reynolds puts on some sunglasses and sees the world as it is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's got a black best friend and he tries to give his black best friend the sunglasses and he refuses to put them on. Oh. And I was really upset that there wasn't a twenty minute fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> Just a whole film stopping. loudly, Roddy Piper coming in. I knew
2: you were going for They Live somehow. Mm -hmm. For more on They Live, see episode two of our podcast where I shameful gapped it. There were some little inconsistencies that despite the whole thing being just generally quite fun and enjoyable for me, uh, there was a lot of talk about big companies drowning out individual creators and Mm -hmm. things like that. And then there's a couple of moments towards the end <laughs> where there is some very corporate synergy fan service that I'll try not to spoil, uh-huh. which in the moment is really fun. But then yes. you think, hang on, this is the opposite of what the film's about. Why are you doing it? Are you making a deliberate comment or are you just doing this because no, you they, have the license to do it? Yeah. they were doing it because they could. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so in retrospect, that didn't really work. But in the moment, it got a very good reaction that in the cinema. Fun.
3: I didn't see it in the cinema. Um. Did the cameo get a cheer?
2: It did we will say nothing more about it because the complete lack of knowledge of it, I think, made it more enjoyable. Yes.
3: So I didn't like it.
2: You shocked me, John. No, yeah. I, um,
3: I thought it picked up towards the end. Mm-hmm. I think it felt like a mash of things. Whether making it a big deal about like, being an original IP and not a sequel or anything, it was a bit of They Live, it was a bit of Groundhog Day, it was a bit of Truman Show, it was a bit of Lego Movie. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: Peter's list of what it all mashed up being, yeah. I think at the time I described it in our messenger group as... Uh, as if the Truman Show and the Lego movie had a baby with Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is probably how it was pitched. Mm. But, I mean, the Truman Show was 25 years ago. so Rumours
4: are there is a sequel on the way. Because yes. it did quite well in the cinema.
3: Mm-hmm. Also, age-inappropriate relationships, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah.
4: Uh, kind of. She's 27, he's mid-40s. Mm-hmm. See, I thought was, I was yeah. a little older.
2: Well, the actor is. I don't know about the character. Um, the character is only about three three. yeah, Yeah, which is quite Um, funny I like when they brought that up as a a plot point
3: I want to remake Big where that woman just gets carried off to jail at the end for sleeping with a 12 year old
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah for Jodie Comer's first big blockbuster film she was really really good
3: Mm, mine is 44 44 they're not that inappropriate you should do a whole thread on <laughs> <Yeah, where> it. <laughs> your approve your or disapprove. favourite <laughs> or least favourite inappropriate age differences. <laughs> Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones in Entrapment, oh. I think, was the worst other than Kathleen Zeta-Jones and Michael Douglas in life. Which was... <laughs>
4: <laughs> if they're happy together, that's all They've that been together 20 years yeah, now. They, they clearly they are as happy. It works.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Apparently it's coming to Disney Plus now. Uh, but does anyone know if that's as a paid
3: thing? It's a normal tier thing. Right. So they're doing 45 days from cinema release coming to Disney Plus as part of the normal subscription. So presumably we'll get Shang-Chi in a week or so.
2: And I think they announced a big day where Shang-Chi and loads and loads of other things are all... Coming to Disney Plus on the same day, Ooh. and I think that's the start of November, mm. possibly to coincide with its second anniversary Ooh. as a platform. Mm. But you'll be able to see Shang Chi on Disney Plus for free, I think, before eternals comes out. Yeah, should it ever come out? Uh, i might be a month from now. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think we can point to a few
4: podcasts in the past where we've said it's coming out. Yeah. A it's time. the
2: theme of the podcast through ninety-four episodes. But uh, Disney Plus has
4: been doing really well. I think it's got half the subscription numbers of Netflix in two
2: years compared to the 10 years it took Netflix. There's loads of good stuff on there now. I think I probably use Disney Plus more than Netflix at the moment.
4: Some of the archive stuff's really nice, like mm-hmm. th- watching things like Castle again and yeah. anyone who hasn't seen those things. Yeah. Well the worth it.
3: the adult film selection. That sounded <laughs> wrong. <but> the- John,
2: <laughs> stop looking
0: for adult films on Disney Plus. That's yeah. not what it's for. It's how you get on a watch list.
3: Gadget from Tailspin, sexy squirrel.
0: <laughs> of all the characters. <laughs>
3: is is that your pitch for a reboot? Yeah.
2: So free guy. <laughs> yeah, so free
0: game. So Peter, mm-hmm. how many improbably linked up servers
4: out of ten would you give it? I think it's worth seven and a half. I think that's fair. Yeah.
2: Mm.
3: Can I give it a six? You can't rate it. You do You're not allowed. It.
2: that's that's still quite favourable for some of you yeah, says they didn't like it. I feel it. like
3: I just I, I didn't hate it. I just meh mm. and I think I'm over Ryan Reynolds Deadpool shtick.
2: Mm.
4: My wife so far has been uh unable to watch any Ryan Reynolds movie that's not Deadpool. Okay. And so I said, how was it? the end, she said, well, I watched it all. <laughs> so that's a fine <laughs> phrase indeed. Dan, what have you got for us?
2: Well, I have got a new series that you can watch on now uh, from Mike White, probably best known as the writer of School of Rock, who's created a six-episode show called The White Lotus. So do you name it after himself? Perhaps. I think it's an actual flower. But, it is. um <laughs> Who knows? But it's set in a luxury resort called the White Lotus in Hawaii, and takes place across the one-week stay of several very privileged, very wealthy people. And by the end of the week, someone is leaving the island dead. Uh, the mystery of who dies gives the whole thing a level of intrigue, but it's not really about that. And the elite status of the resort guests makes it feel a bit like succession, but it's not really about that either. It's really about how these people treat other people, especially those working at the resort. For anyone who's ever worked in a public-facing or a customer service role, it's painfully accurate and it's completely relatable, even as events escalate to shocking levels. How the people feel that it's okay to use and exploit staff, how they feel the staff are disposable, irrelevant or secondary to a hotel room or a meal or a holiday is baked into the series. There's some intelligent social satire at work, also seen in the tense and awkward dinner-time discussions about social justice issues that will feel very familiar to a lot of us, but it's also really, really funny. There are fantastic performances across the ensemble cast. Jake Lacey, who you might know from the last season of The American Office, is great as a spoiled rich kid on his honeymoon. Alexandra Daddario is his wife, who's starting to worry she signed up to be a trophy. I've seen her in a few supporting roles before, but she's never really been given much to do. She is here, and she's really good. Jennifer Coolidge, best known for her appearances in Christopher Guest films and A Stifler's Mom and American Pie, is mesmerising as a woman who's come to the White Lotus to scatter her mother's ashes in the ocean. You won't be able to take your eyes off her. But above them all for me is Australian actor Murray Bartlett as resort manager Armand. The way he switches from public face to private is brilliantly done, and he absolutely steals every scene he's in. The resonant themes, the skewering of the privileged and wealthy, the excellent ensemble, and the gorgeous Hawaiian location all add up to six must-see episodes of TV.
3: Hmm. Mm. Now, I didn't realise this was Mike White, which makes me more interested to watch, because Mike White, wrote one of my favourite indie films of the 90s, um, a film called Chicken Book, which I don't know is particularly well-known or not.
2: I heard of it first when I looked him up. this
3: recommendation (laughs) and check it out i I don't know where you would find it he wrote and starred in that and and was brilliant in it um and then he's gone on to do sort of more mainstream stuff like school of rock but if this has that kind of skewed sensibility and that that spikiness that chuck and book had then i'm very interested to see it
0: i'm a big big fan of horrible people (laughs) And what I've I've seen of this... Fictional, horrible
4: people. I remember Uh, when you
3: sent me a Facebook friend
4: request.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you said, I've heard of you. Can we be (laughs) friends? I've watched a couple of episodes of this. It is just that kind of deliciously venomous comedy... It is an extremely dark comedy. Like, you know, you just sort of scratch the surface of paradise and you just find people under horrible conditions and horrible people making it worse for them. I found this thoroughly entertaining. So is is it
3: kind of straight drama, dark comedy?
2: I think, as Ian said, a very, very dark comedy. Mm -hmm. There's serious things running through it, but... Things are treated in such a way. You're having some of the similar reactions to if you're watching a comedy. Ian, would that be
0: correct? There's a very content, like it's kind of a very contemporary trend of sort of comedy-shaped content in dramas. Yeah. Essentially, something like Succession is a good example. If anything, I'd say this is slightly more skewed than that.
2: Yeah, a little bit. I think yeah. things get elevated a little bit more in this.
0: Very early on in, ep- in like the first episode, there is a couple on their honeymoon. And the guy almost can't enjoy his honeymoon because he thinks he should have a better room, but they are Ooh. in the most beautiful place in the world. <laughs> the room is fantastic, but just this knowledge that he believes he should have a different one is almost spoiling the whole experience. And it's
3: it's if you find that funny, I think you'll probably enjoy this. Yeah, I think I will watch this. I, I, I mm-hmm. Sam's very much of my street. I loved Succession, mm-hmm. so it's kind of tonally a little bit similar to that.
2: Then, yeah. if you like Succession and you like Mike White. Mm-hmm. You will very much like this.
3: Um, and Jennifer Coolidge, Stifler's mum.
2: Yes, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, in this. she's great in other things. She plays a character who's very dependent on others, but is obviously massively privileged at the same time. Mm-hmm. And she's got all sorts of issues and problems, and it's lots of different layers working at the same time. And you can see there's a lot going on behind her eyes, and. Like I say, you can't take your eyes off her when she's on screen because it's got this kind of unpredictability to it. Mm. You just don't know what she might do or what she might say or how she might react to something that goes wrong.
4: So how many star hotel room would you say it is? Oh,
2: I would say it is a nine star hotel. Oh, that's a very posh hotel. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I scale. So, Ian, you've got a recommendation. I do have
0: a recommendation. <laughs> Thanks for asking, Dan. Uh, yeah, so I've been watching uh, Why the Last Man, which is uh, the FX-produced uh, TV show adaptation of a comic book which has uh, dropped in the UK on Disney+. Plus. The first three episodes have dropped. So this is adapted from a comic book by Brian K. Vaughan and Pia Guerra. It's kind of a really simple high concept. One day, anything with a Y chromosome, any genetically male mammal, dies. Apart from one man called Yorick Brown and his monkey, Ampersand, this adaptation clearly has a lot of money behind it. The comic book has nearly been adapted a number of times over the years. David Goyer nearly produced a film of it shortly after it was um, the series was finished with uh, Sheila Buff. But this has been adapted by Eliza Clark, who's a playwright and actress who's worked on the sci-fi show "The Extant" and Netflix's kind of uh, English language adaptation of uh, "The Killing." Now, the comic is great. Brian K. Vaughan, who wrote it, has done a bunch of like interesting stuff. But he's also done a ton of TV work. He went on to work on Lost. There's kind of a couple of similar things in that, I'd say. Pierre Garry, the other uh, creator of this, is a master cartoonist and a remarkable actor. But the other artist who worked on it is a guy called J.G. Jones, Who did all the covers now why I mention this is stylistically the TV show is clearly copying the covers like in terms of colors it's used art direction some of the individual shots and it lends it kind of a very distinct look the plot of the comic is all about exploring what killed all the men and there's various like clues planted in that and the comic kind of acts like a road movie of like the main character Yorick and two companions almost traveling across the world trying to like find out what's going on and deal with this plot but the TV show is kind of a very different beast. Starting on this day when all the men died, it explores Yorick Brown. He's a wannabe magician, he's a wannabe escapologist, he's a bit of a loser. <laughs> he's got an interesting kind These of... A, things like, go together. <laughs> exactly. He's got a kind of tense or terse relationship with his sister, Hero. She's an alcoholic uh, EMT. She like works as a paramedic. Uh, and their mother, Jennifer Brown, is uh, a senator and she kind of like works in government. Now, it follows the immediate kind of aftermath of what happened um, in the TV show and really deals with the mechanics of how society would react if all the men die. Do the power stations start working? Planes fall out the sky? And you're dealing with a lot of that and seeing a lot of characters. Whereas the comic's very focused on Yorick and kind of his adventures, this goes a lot broader mm. and it deals with that in a brutal and kind of extremely realistic feeling way. I've, I've watched two and a half of the three which have dropped so far. As I say, the comics focus very much, if not on one character, but on the kind of a core of three characters who are really sort of investigating what's what's going on with uh, with the plague. This concentrates on more. So you're seeing like the politics of what's happening in the Pentagon. You're seeing the survivors in the outside world. You're seeing people dealing with just this completely new status quo. And it's been cast like amazingly well. It's clearly a very like solid production. Uh, the guy who's playing Yorick is called Ben Schnetzer, who I didn't think I'd seen in anything before, but Google tells me he was in the Warcraft movie. Now, I have seen the Warcraft movie, but I can't tell you anything that happened in that film. Uh, <laughs> probably, so it's not, not particularly memorable. Diane Lane, Superman's mum in the sort of most recent iteration, of this plays Jennifer Brown, who's Yorick and Hero's mother. She's become president in this new status quo. And uh, this is something the comics really didn't touch on at all. But she's dealing with this political like situation of other people maybe wanting her power olivia thurby who is anderson in the dread movies and she was also in juno plays hero Yorick's sister and she is remarkable in this i think she's going to be amazing because hero has a brilliant arc in the comic books there's a secret agent knocking around agent 355 who belongs to kind of um a secret division of government who only ever answered to the president of course once all the men die suddenly she's got a new boss 355 is played by Ashley Romans. She comes across as extremely capable, extremely credible that she could beat the shit out of you, which is kind of the character she needs to be. There's a few characters in this that aren't in the comic book, which is interesting. One of them being Sam Jordan, who's a trans guy, who, um, because he doesn't have a Y chromosome as, as kind of... Survived it's a female the to male trans. So all of a sudden they're in a world where there are no men mm-hmm. other than trans men and suddenly they've got to deal with all the questions that they kind of avoided in the past. We haven't seen any hint of kind of the mystery of what caused the, the men to die yet, which is a massive theme of the comic book. It's kind of interesting in its shift in focus into a more, perhaps, you know, a more televisual um, mm-hmm. ensemble cast. I'm hoping this runs and runs because there's a very big story in it. And I'm really looking forward to um, there's going to be a Russian soldier who turns up called uh, Natalia Zamyatin. And she will be very, very fun if they get her right. Um, So, yeah, it's been so far I've been thoroughly enjoying it.
4: I'd, i've seen two episodes so far the, the first one and the and the second uh, cuz that's the sensible order to do it in. <laughs> the uh the first one is quite is a little different to the second because you're just mm. dealing with the pre-apocalypse stuff and it's not quite clear what's happening mm. and it's only really in the second one that you start to get a sense of how the series is necessarily going to feel yeah but i did enjoy it mm-hmm. one weird bit of casting this sort of biden-like male president mm. who obviously doesn't last when everyone gets wiped out Does anyone remember uh, there was a series called Due South about a Canadian Mountie? That's the same guy, same actor. Ah.
0: He was Benton Fraser in Due South. I would never guess. Now he's the president. Yes. I love Due South. (laughs) (laughs) So, Due South about a Mountie who goes to New York and helps the police (laughs) service. Whenever he entered a room, one of two pieces of music plays. It'd either be Doon Diddle Loon Doon or my favourite. Doon doon diddly doon. I spent about four <laughs> months doing that as I entered rooms. Um, little dalliance there, but no, it's um, the comic books from like 2002 to 2008. Obviously, a fair bit of time has passed, and the you know the the world has changed. Politics has changed. How people react to politics, how people react to the plague. That like um, people think the plague is perhaps a conspiracy theory. You were seeing a lot of modern resonance in how it's been adapted, and mm. I think quite sensibly.
2: Yeah, we've watched one episode, and I have read the comics, but it was quite a long time ago. And after watching the first episode, I did have a question. Was Yorick as much of a pain in the arse in the comics? Am I remembering it wrong? (laughs) Because I quite liked him in the comics, but he was a real loser in that first episode. He's a bit kind of weedier in the comics. He's a bit smarter
0: maybe. Yeah, I don't know whether mm. it's the change
2: in medium but mm. that was the big struggle. I mean, I've got one other struggle which is just a side one, which is the fact it's all mammals with a Y chromosome and while I'm watching it I don't really care about the people, but I'm worried about the animal kingdom and these animals with much shorter lifespans who will go extinct if they don't fix mm. this in, <laughs> yeah. you know, a couple of years, for example, mice will cease mm. to exist and that will do colossal damage to ecosystems. The people I don't really it's care just, about. It's
3: just mammals. Yeah. Because by the end of the word, no more fruit flies, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But, yeah. yeah
2: so, and aside from that struggle I have with it, which is one I had with the comics as well, the main thing I had watching that first episode was I really didn't like Yorick.
3: My understanding from what I've read about over the last few days is that the Yorick character in the comics undergoes a character arc. Mm. And you're potentially remembering that full character Afterwards. arc yes. rather mm. than the... Okay. Would that be a fair Habby comment, was at the Ian? start.
4: There's that whirring sound I can hear, the sound of three or four different people all trying to work out the best Alas, boy, Yorick, joke together.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Brian K. Vaughan as a writer is very, very good. And character arcs and character dynamics, which perhaps don't end where you expect them to end, is something he's done an awful lot. And it's definitely true of Yorick in the comics. And I think he is... Deliberately not perhaps the best choice of a man to survive mm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. in you know in this world. And so yes, he's and, a bit and
4: avoiding the idea that the one man comes and saves everybody as well, which must oh, be yeah. a thing oh, they're no, totally he... trying to avoid. Very mm. much I mean,
0: there's some great stuff in the comics, which I, you know, I hope gets translated. There is one point where Agent 355 teaches Yorick how to punch because he can't do it. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I think we're gonna see that kind of thing. I think we're definitely gonna see. That kind of progression, at least. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued to see where the ten episodes
4: ends. Is it likely that it will be a multi-series show? I think it
0: has to be, unless they change it significantly. They don't have the space to end it how the comic ends. Like, oh. so we'll we'll see. And honestly, unless Is it you... that
3: the men were just all hiding in boxes and behind curtains, it was just one giant yeah. prank.
0: Um, the depiction of all the men dying is pretty brutal, oh, yeah, brutally that, yeah. done. It's and intense. And very, very impressive. The first episode, you're instantly seeing families, young, old. It's very, very deliberate and very well done. Hmm.
1: Yeah.
3: So do you read the in article up basically shit all over it? No. And their problem with it... I'm laughing, but I, I, I think their problem with it might be negated by things that you've said, but the other thing of they've managed to make... A TV series in which all the men die, and yet still make the series about a man, and from his perspective. Yeah, and his a- point Amy of view...
2: did wonder during the first episode at what point it would pass the Bechdel test. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen episode two, but I hope they talk about something other than men. They surely do.
0: That's and all right. Then. <laughs> it's first two episodes written by a woman, directed by women. Yeah. yeah. Um, starring, you know. I'm Mainly I suspect. Women. Yeah. Well, there's there's more men in the first episode than we're going to see for the rest of it. I'll uh, I'll tell you that. Why?
3: <laughs> Why indeed? Why? I would just think, you know, if you if you owned a sperm bank, you'd be a billionaire, wouldn't you? Uh, the collection of
0: genetic material does become a factor. But here's the thing. So what, you know, what killed all the guys? If another mammal with a Y chromosome is conceived, would they die instantly? What's mm. going to happen? Mm. Why has it affected all the guys at the same moment? There's lots of interesting stuff which the comic lays out as a puzzle and then kind of brings to a close, which is probably why uh, Brian K. Vaughan was then hired by Lost, who had no idea how they were going to (laughs) end the show, to see if he could bring it together.
2: Didn't work. Well, hey. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do this again.
3: (laughs) Is the ending All the Men Are in Purgatory? Possibly. I can neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) Oh, they were all killed by a polar bear that had no reason to be there.
2: It was all a dream. It was a female (laughs) polar bear. So, Ian, how how many monkey sidekicks out of ten? Based on and ni- why? <laughs> I am going to give it
0: so far based on my enjoyment and where I like what I think it's opening up and where I think it. could go, I'm going to give it seven uh,
3: monkeys mm. out of ten. Lower than I thought. I'd,
4: yeah, I'd give it a bit higher than that. I'm I'm mean. You're, you are being very <laughs> stingy with your <laughs> points <laughs> though, you know, with this, your monkey
2: sidekicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know this podcast wouldn't exist in that world.
3: This episode, this episode wouldn't. wouldn't. Yeah.
2: No. Well, all the other episodes would yeah. be Hazel and Karis. <laughs> <laughs> I'd listen to that podcast. I wouldn't. No, <laughs> you don't listen to this one. No. You'd be, you'd be not dead. you're on it. <laughs> We've been uh, avoiding it all episodes, mm-hmm. but um, John's got a recommendation.
4: I do.
3: Guess what's up, guys? <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I've got a recommendation. It recommend- yeah, it's a recommendation.
4: The fact that you're not sure yeah. is
2: <laughs> really encouraging. To paraphrase Ian's recommendation, why? Mm-hmm. Why? I've got a recommendation, guys. Uh-oh.
3: Um, Take cover. Here we go. Hold me, Ian. At, at a social distance. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ted Lasso.
4: It is not. No, it's not.
3: So I watched an episode, <laughs> I watched a couple of episodes of Ted Lasso, and it turns out oh. that the um, theme for this series is, uh, is a white male who has some emotional problems that he's kind of keeping back, and internalising and they recommend he goes and sees a therapist and to begin with he has an angry relationship with a the therapist but then towards the end he realises he does need a the therapist and has a big breakthrough emotional moment with the therapist and I've never seen a TV show or film have that character <laughs> out I mean, bollocks why do you all like it
2: so how many footballs out of ten would you give Ted Lasso? minus
3: ten
4: <laughs> in a world that is full of cynicism and <laughs> doubt and hate and selfishness it shows that there's a better way, John, which is obviously something you haven't learned yet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> My real recommendation is a film starring, obviously, the greatest living actor, Nicolas Cage.
4: Oh, thank God for that.
3: And it is Prisoner of the Ghostland, which is a film he himself described as the weirdest, craziest movie he's ever done. It's directed by Sion Sono, a Japanese director who is kind of. He reminds me a little bit of uh, Mik Takeshi in that he kind of does this kind of gonzo Eastern filmmaking, a lot of Asian influences, a lot of genre mashups, that kind of thing. And this, I believe, is his English language debut. So Nicolas Cage is a bank robber. We see a bank robbery go terribly wrong. We flash forward a few years where there has been a nuclear explosion that has taken part of Japan and essentially made it a no go area. And it's developed into its own crazy world ruled over by the governor who is bill mosley who makes nicholas cage seem strange in this film he rules over this town area that's a, a mix of old school japanese influences and old school spaghetti western type influences like a real mashup of the two worlds so you've got like the town sheriff and the governor but then you've also got geishas and that kind of thing the governor has his ham of women which he, he calls his granddaughter's rather creepily. It's like Ryan Reynolds and Jodie Comer <laughs> all over again. And um, his granddaughter and some other women are kidnapped, stroke, escape. And Nicolas Cage is tasked with bringing them back in return for his freedom. To ensure that he behaves himself, and in a hope that the audience have never seen Escape from New York, he is dressed in a special suit with some explosives around that if he misbehaves... Will explode and destroy bits of his anatomy, including Which his. John? Well, and there's, there's some around his neck, and there's some around his, his, his arms, and there's and some around it. what the governor calls his testicules, and what Nicolas Cage calls his testicles! <laughs> All
4: <laughs> 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 right.
3: And, I, you know, I, you, you kind of want to avoid spoilers in this kind of film.
4: but I'm not sure you do.
3: Let's just say, you know, if you're going to put straps of explosives <laughs> to. Nicolas Cage's Love Sack. <laughs> you want to see those puppies pop at some point.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I now need to do some sort of B 52s thing at the end where they sing Love Sack instead of Love Shack. Um, so
3: Nicholas Cage goes to find the granddaughter and comes across the aforementioned ghost land, which is filled with zombies and uh, some other people who may not be entirely what they seem. And you get kind of a quite restrained and quite nice, but very, very surreal middle section where you spend some time with these people and you kind of find out what's going on. And it's very... Can I pause you for a moment there?
0: Did yeah. you just say there is a section in the middle which is restrained and quite nice?
3: Yes. <laughs> Could I, I just say relatively restrained okay. and quite nice?
4: I'm just busy trying to work out the lyrics to Love Sack at the <laughs> moment. <laughs> so I'm just listening to a word you're saying. Bang, bang. Out <laughs> the balls, baby, baby. <laughs> Um, so we, we get
3: that middle section, and again, it's probably not a spoiler to say that maybe they might all team up and try and bring the governor down towards the end of the film, by which time we kind of get back into action movie territory. It's, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really liked it. I loved it.
4: That still doesn't help. He, <laughs> would we?
3: Would you? Would anyone?
4: <laughs> what, what about normal humans, <laughs> John? Yeah.
3: It's very Japanese and Asian in the way that it's made. In the terms of the narrative, doesn't quite ebb and flow in the way that Westerns about. So, if 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 you're used to the kind of Asian cinema, you probably will have more tolerance for it. I mean, I love sort of Japanese Korean horror, so it was in my wheelhouse there. Nicholas Cage, he, it's not the craziest who he's ever done. I mean, it's not Mandy compared to Mandy. It's so it's a, got something
2: going for it. Then it's it's a
3: it's a, <laughs> a realist drama. Um, <laughs> you know you do get to see him hopping around screaming doing some kabuki style acting at the loss of a testicle when he gets slightly excited over seeing something
4: is this the one that has a rather dubious stuntman in it as well yeah
3: you've got your action sequence at the end where Nicolas cage's stuntman gets a lot of work he puts a helmet on for no reason we're like why is he putting this old helmet on i'm like ah it's so from the back <laughs> he can replace by somebody slightly stouter and shorter Nicolas Cage in a leather jumpsuit doing Kung Fu is just late period Elvis. I'm not saying that's a bad thing.
4: (sighs) It's after he left Las Vegas, obviously. Yeah.
3: um...
0: Last week I took a journey
3: Mm -hmm. back to my parents'
0: house and so I was looking up trains. And uh, the algorithm saw that I was looking up trains and started, you know, like recommending places nearby that I might want to visit. That's about as far as the algorithm goes for me. Mm -hmm. How do you live your life that... The world is making films that are just pulled squarely (laughs) from your brain and can only exist to entertain you and no other people. I don't know. It is
3: like, I I feel very privileged that somewhere there is, I assume, some wire connected from my brain to about 20 low-budget financing houses, all of whom insist on having their logo for 10 seconds at the beginning of the film so you can see exactly how the film was pieced together.
0: (laughs) It, It feels like a film that's been sort of written with
3: amphetamine and random
0: dice rolls
3: just yeah, to sort of that, put that would elements be that. together. It was like somebody had just read a Choose Your Own Adventure book from beginning to end and filmed that not following the <laughs> text page <laughs> <laughs> just as a single narrative exercise. Oh, no. So it looks both very expensive and very cheap at the same time. Hmm. Nicholas Cage is, I think, coasting a little bit. Now.
4: <laughs> That's not the thing you often hear said about no. Nick Cage. Well, the Cage. And the
3: reason I say this, um, as anyone, I know you have, uh, Peter, Pig. Yes. He's so good in that and yeah. it, he when he wants to, I, I, I was genuinely in tears at the end of that film and my girlfriend was too, just to prove it wasn't me having a mental
4: And for a good reason breakdown. this time. <laughs> for for a good
3: reason. And he you know, he can act and he's great in that. Much as I, I love Crazy Gonzo and Nicolas Cage, I miss the fact that there's that talent underneath there and it's almost like a circus recap, you know, like where the wheel on the person to do their bit. And you, you don't hire Nicholas Cage, and actually you hire Nicholas Cage to go testicle. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's a, it's a bit messy. It's abstract in ways that are either interesting storytelling or not great storytelling, depending on how much credit you give the director. There's a lot of very good imagery, interesting imagery around time and the effects of nuclear weapons and Brazil, that kind of eighties Terry Gilliam feel and imagery to it. I enjoy ninety percent of it. If you can accept something that is not narratively straightforward and you have to do a little bit of work and it's you know it's very dreamlike in its imagery, then go for it. I would recommend it to all of you, I think. I think you would all get something out of it.
0: I have a restraining order against you <laughs> <laughs> to prevent you recommending things to me. <laughs> quite quite wisely. Have
3: you watched Sensor um, yet?
0: No.
4: No. Oh, so what you did watch, um, I, I, I'm just I'm looking at Ian's, <laughs> Ian's face, which is I'm never ever in my life going to watch anything you recommend.
3: Could I, could I ask you, um, did I recommend St. Malt to you? No,
0: Andy did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, St. Malt was good,
2: but you didn't recommend it, someone else did. How many love sacks
3: out of 10? It is eight. Just a girl! Out of 10. He's looking like he's he's half tempted.
0: This <laughs> is so he's got his see, his like, This is the trap. This every fucking time.
4: This is the trap. <laughs> it's like
0: you have, a, you have like enthusiasm. I see the <laughs> glint in your eyes. You've got genuine enjoyment from this, but it's, it's not it's enthusiasm. A substance.
4: Madness.
3: No, but it's a substance which is toxic to me.
4: You like? You just go back
3: to an abusive partner, maybe he will be different this
0: time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I. Oh,
0: <laughs> you're gonna watch it aren't yeah. i'm not no i'm not i'm refuse? not no no I'm, I'm...
4: the
3: counselor's quite clear <laughs> don't go back um it'll be very clear in the first 15 minutes whether it's love or i'm not watching it <laughs> <laughs> don't <look> to... <laughs> peter just edit his whole
0: bit out all of it well, in case, in case it sucks you a in a if public, you listen to it again it is a it is a public service. <laughs> <laughs> if you prevent this opinion from leaving this partially contained area,
3: it's alright.
0: <laughs> Seek help. <laughs>
3: So that's our episode. If you enjoyed it, then we'd love it if you commented on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Give us a follow, give us a like, recommend us to your friends. And if you do any of those, Daniel, you have a special treat.
2: Yes, if you give us any of those things, John will work on his one man show where he will recreate all of the films of Nicolas Cage. Depending on the level of your rating, will determine the level of his commitment. Give us five stars on one platform, he'll put bees on his face. Give us five stars on two platforms, he will attack a cheddar goblin. Uh, Give us five stars on all the platforms, he will wear a special suit and attach explosives to his testicles.
3: I mean, I've done most of those things already. So that's our show. You have been listening to...
2: A man who forgot to recommend Come From Away on Apple TV+. Plus. It's amazing. 15 out of 10.
0: A man with his finger on the trigger of the explosives down John's <laughs>
4: <laughs> A man who's wondering what'll happen if I press this button. Rebooting. <laughs> Desticle!
3: You're supposed to do the sign-off. What, what was that, John? And I'm John Just <laughs> oh, <thank you>. Bye.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.
3: Beep, 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 beep. Just call